0: And the full interview archive is also available at youtube.com slash Scott Horton Show. All right, you guys, on the line, I've got Julian Assange's brother, Gabriel Shipton. Welcome to the show. How are you doing?
1: Yeah, I'm great. Thanks for having me on.
0: Uh, very happy to have you here. And listen, last night I watched this new documentary that you guys are uh, touring around the country screening. It's called Ithaca. And it's the story of uh, your brother's imprisonment, but also especially your father's and I guess your uh, effort to get him sprung from uh, the Belmarsh prison where he's in Britain right now, uh, I guess, awaiting a ruling on an appeal over an American extradition request. They want to prosecute your brother under the Espionage Act. So I guess, can we start with that Um where exactly are we in the process? Because the movie ends with a big win, but it wasn't a big enough one.
1: Yeah, so Julian is coming up to his fourth year in uh, Belmarsh Maximum Security Prison just outside of London. That'll be four years uh, on the 11th of April. He's there. He's not serving a sentence. Uh, He's not convicted uh, he's what they call a remand prisoner uh, there are only one there's two two remand prisoners in that prison out of out of 800 prisoners 20 uh, percent of those 800 are convicted murderers so that's just a idea of the sort of people that are in that prison uh, these are the most dangerous uh, most violent uh criminals in the uk and julian's been um, you know, kept there amongst them uh, as an innocent man. Uh, he has, so on June 17 last year, the Home Secretary, Pretty Patel, signed off on his extradition order and Julian has one more avenue of appeal in the UK High Courts. And so he's submitted, he's submitted his application to appeal at the beginning of November and now he's waiting on the UK Courts' Uh, to decide whether they will hear the appeal or whether they will agree with the ex- the signed extradition order uh, from Pretty Patel. So there could be a decision any moment now uh, from the UK courts. So it's very... These times for Julian when, uh, you know, he has this sort of sword hanging over his neck of a impending extradition, uh, they're very tough, very full of anxiety and... Um, an uncertainty for him and for his family.
0: Tell me, Gabriel, is it is he still on so called suicide precautions and uh, twenty three hour a day solitary lockdown and all that stuff?
1: He spends most of the time in his cell. Um, he does he does get exercise now. Uh, you know he leaves his cell uh, for to get food as well. So the conditions. Uh, have improved from from when he was in the uh, solitary confinement and interestingly and i think this is a sort of sign of uh, how things change in julian's case it wasn't his lawyers it wasn't uh pressure from uh, government officials it wasn't you know pressure from the un uh, that changed his conditions it was uh, three petitions uh, done by the prisoners that led to Julian uh, being moved out of that solitary uh, confinement condition. So that's just a, to, that just sort of speaks so loudly to me that, uh, you know, a change in Julian's situation is going to come from the ground up uh, and not from the top down.
0: Hmm. That's interesting. I'd never heard that. It was the prisoners themselves said, it's not fair the way you're singling out this guy. And they did so in an organized enough fashion that that actually made a difference.
1: Yeah, that's right. And so all the, all the lawyers, even the UN, you know, weren't, weren't able to do it. Uh, but the prisoners inside the prison, all banding together, uh, were able to, you know, make, you know, pressure the prison to make the change.
0: That's really something else. That's really great to hear too. Um, okay, I'm sorry. This is a side point, but I wanted to ask you why is the title Ithaca?
1: Well, Ithaca. So when John and I were on uh, were on the road or are on the road, uh, there's a lot of the times that you know things don't go our way. You know, in that in the film, or I guess one of those moments was you know after Julian won at the magistrate's court level and then you know a few days later had his bail rejected uh, so that was a sort of very low moment for us and john would listen to this poem by a greek egyptian poet called kavafi uh, and the poem is called Ithaca. there's a great reading on youtube by uh, sean connery hmm. and it's it explains or you know it, it's it's really about you know when you're fighting for something uh, you know, fighting for a cause that's bigger than yourself or, you know, reaching for a goal that seems out of reach. Uh, just to remember that, uh, you know, it's even when you reach that goal, it's, it's and you find it and, and I think the line in the poem is, if you arrive at Ithaca and you find her poor, uh, you know, worry not because you arrive there rich uh, with all the things you've learnt all the places you've been and all the friends you've made along the way. Uh, So at the low moments in the campaign, it's important to remember that, you know, it's just about taking one step at a time. And uh, this movement is building around Julian. And it's really that's why we chose that title, because it's that sort of allegory for activism Mm -hmm. or or when you're fighting for a cause bigger than yourself. There's also a, a part of it that talks about fear. And the fears uh, that you bring along inside you uh, and to ignore those fears. And so I I think that's very important in this in this um, in this fight as well, uh, considering uh, who we're up against.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm really glad I asked you that. And you're definitely right about. You know, silver linings here. It's not that it's worth it at his expense or anything, but new relationships and networks and activist groups and movements are being built up around this. We can see who the good guys are and who the bad guys are and who's willing to stick up for Assange and WikiLeaks. Yeah, that's right. And
1: uh, I think, you know, what's a sort of unforeseen uh, benefit that's come from Julian's persecution is now there's a worldwide movement for democratic rights and freedom of expression and the First Amendment all around the world. You know, Julian once said that he wanted to export the First Amendment to the rest of the world. And I think through the fight to free him, uh, we are seeing that happening. You know, there's parliamentary groups or congressional groups, uh, cross-party groups in every Western democracy now, all calling for Julian's freedom. And it's not just because of the violations of Julian's human rights, but uh, what is at stake for everyone in these countries as well. They see this fight to free Julian as a fight for their own rights, a fight for their own uh, press freedom and uh, freedom of expression. So, you know, as we travel around, we meet more and more people who are, you know, who have are very concerned and join the movement and. And, you know, I think that's a unforeseen uh, benefit um, that's come to everybody uh, through this fight to free Julian.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right. So in the movie, Nils Melzer, the um, UN special reporter or however you say that on torture, he makes an important statement in there. Well, he says lots of important things. But one of them is this was never supposed to be about Julian Assange, not if you asked Julian Assange. This is about the documents that he's posting online. This is about the journalism. This is about the outlet for whistleblowers to tell the truth about crimes that the governments they work for are committing. And so I want to give you a chance to talk about the Iraq and Afghan war logs, the State Department cables, the Guantanamo files, the DNC and Podesta leaks, and all the other stuff. I mean, Vault 7, but not just that. I mean, there are leaks on WikiLeaks.org from governments all over the world, and including enemies of the war party, too, like Syria and Russia, even though people always deny that and try to say that Assange, you know, is somehow an agent of these uh, states that are enemies of the United States. That's not true. He's published all kinds of stuff about them, too. But a lot of people maybe don't even know. I mean, his biggest hit was 10 years ago, right? Or more right? 2010, 12, 13 years ago. And then, of course, uh, 2016 was a big deal. So people maybe are more familiar with that. But go ahead and talk a little bit about WikiLeaks and about Assange's mission here, if you could, Gabriel.
1: Well, you know, it it sort of stems, uh, you know, in the film, we have a look at at sort of how it really developed around the uh, WikiLeaks, the concept for WikiLeaks really developed around the Iraq War and uh, the the big lie around the Iraq war, uh, the weapons of mass destruction that, you know, we all knew didn't exist, but were kept getting told by the prestige media and government officials that that's why, the, that, that's why Iraq had to be invaded. So Julian saw that problem uh, that populations didn't like wars and they have to be uh, convinced uh, to, you know, endorse them or or lie to, uh, to convince these populations to, uh, you know, not resist them. And so Julian saw that problem and identified that, uh, you know, this conspiracy between government and between prestige media uh, to push these policies, these um, dangerous policies that aren't actually good for populations. You know, the more money we're spending on, uh, the war machine—the less that goes, uh, you know, to social uh, social causes or, or that people can keep in their pockets—and so that's it. Was around that that WikiLeaks was developed to d- d- disrupt to disrupt the those conspiracies and take the decentralize that uh, decentralize that leaking decentralize uh, those leaks away from the prestige media and uh, make them accessible to everybody, Uh, and by doing so, uh, protecting leakers and and increasing the impact of leaks, but also protecting journalists because uh, journalists no longer had to protect their sources because WikiLeaks uh, became uh, the sort of uh, outsourced or or decentralised uh, source protection. And that is why, uh, you know, I think a good comparison that has been made is, you know, Chelsea Manning, the, the leaker, Uh, of the Iraq war files, you know, the Afghanistan war logs, uh, the torture at Guantanamo Bay, uh, the famous uh, collateral murder video uh, that shows a helicopter gunship gunning down two Reuters journalists and then also gunning down the people who come to rescue them. Uh, That is why that, you know, Chelsea Manning is free. Uh, and her, had her sentence commuted in 2017. but julian uh, you know remains in prison. and i think that is quite a quite a telling uh, a telling fact that you know what do these people fear most? and it is wikileaks and julian and the system that he created uh to bring this information uh, to the population uh, that those in power uh, fear the most.
0: yeah. Um, All right, now, so the movie mostly features your dad um, and also Julian Assange's wife, Stella Morris, and their effort traveling all around, talking to parliaments, talking to private groups, talking to, I don't know, whoever they can in order to uh, try to get Assange freed. So first of all, can you tell us a little bit about uh, Jonathan and tell us a little bit about Stella and then, you know, maybe a little bit more about the travels and travails here.
1: Well, uh, what we wanted to, you know, show in Ithaca is that, you know, John and Stella—they're just, you know, they're doing these amazing, courageous things. But, you know, at the end of the day, they're, they're uh, normal people like you and I. They're, you know, John's a retired builder, um, Stella is a human rights lawyer, but also, you know, a wife and a mother uh and they are normal people who do these extraordinary extraordinary things and so we wanted to show that in the film show their personal their personal journey and follow them as they fight to free julian in the hope that uh, it can inspire more people to you know uh, embark on these uh you know extraordinary journeys um but you know we we sort of in the film we follow them and Stella when we began filming Stella was still uh, you know uh, Julian's secret family she hadn't uh, come forward and and nobody knew that that she really existed other than a uh, then one of Julian's legal team and it was during the filming and during the court proceedings uh, that judge Bersa at the magistrates court uh, refused uh, to uh Redact her name from court documents. And so Stella was forced to sort of uh, take control of that. And she um, came out and did interviews for 60 Minutes and, and different programs and really took control of that. And now has become one of uh, Julian's greatest advocates and, you know, a, uh, a sort of uh, an activist and human rights uh, defender in her own right. Uh so that was, you know, one of the really uh sort of a curveball that we were thrown during the filming that we had to, you know, we had this you know new person on the scene. It wasn't just John fighting for Julian, it was now Stella as well and we were able to capture all that and I think that worked so well in in the film.
0: Yeah, that's great. Hey guys, check out my new sponsor. It's Peace Hawk Coffee at peacehawk.coffee. First of all, business you have to drink coffee in the morning, and you want it to taste good. Well, Peace Hot Coffee is the best from around the world. But then, just as important, Peace Hot Coffee donates at least a dollar of every pound sold to worthy foreign aid organizations like Yemen Relief and Reconstruction Foundation. When you buy Peace Hot Coffee, you're not only buying great coffee, you have a chance to support the economies of countries struggling against the effects of war and support private aid foundations doing life saving work abroad. Sign up for their email list and get yourself some great coffee at peacehawk.coffee. Hey, i all Scott Horton here for the Libertarian Institute at libertarianinstitute.org. I'm the director. Then we've got Sheldon Richmond, Kyle Anzalone, Keith Knight, Lori Calhoun, Jim Bovard, Connor Freeman, Will Porter, Patrick McFarlane, and Tommy Salmons on our staff, writing and podcasting. And we've also got a ton of other great writers, too, like Walter Block, Richard Booth, Boss Spleet, Kim Robinson, and William Van Wagenen. We've published eight books so far, including my latest, Hotter Than the Sun, Time to Abolish Nuclear Weapons, and Keith Knight's new Voluntarist Handbook. And we've got quite a few more great ones coming soon. Check out libertarianinstitute.org books. It's a whole new era. We libertarians don't have the power, but we do have enough influence to try to lead the left and the right to make things right join us at libertarianinstitute.org and then so uh, there are scenes in there where they're meeting with i guess uh, different parliaments in europe and with u.n officials and this and that can you talk a little bit more about the effort on the ground that they've been making here you all have been i know you're behind the camera i guess here
1: yeah so they've been advocating uh, you know all around the world um you know from three continents australia uh, europe and and the. us uh, meeting with parliamentarians uh, in in a lot you know in many european countries uh, and forming these sort of coalescing these groups in parliament um, for for example in australia there is now uh, an official parliamentary what they call a parliamentary friends of julian Assange group uh, that has over 50 parliamentarians over a quarter of the australian parliament. And so, when John started advocating for Julian, there was only two parliamentarians, and now they're up to, and now they're up to fifty. And that really speaks to what I was talking about before: this sort of uh, worldwide movement for freedom of expression that has developed uh, through uh, the fight to free Julian. But it's you know up to John and Stella to really change, uh, change the narrative around Julian's case. And I think we we show that in the film by a lot of the interactions they have with a mostly, uh, you know, antagonistic prestige media, you know, per, per channels like the BBC or CNN uh, interviews that John and Stella do with uh, with them and sort of countering uh, the 10 years of um, demonization and, de- and dehumanization that Julian suffered that was sort of put in place to allow this unprecedented Espionage Act prosecution to move forward. Uh, you know, it was this tactic to uh, really give Julian the ick factor, you know, so that people didn't think that he had a right to uh, due process or or, or human rights uh, or, you know, his right to asylum that was uh, taken from him, freedom of movement that's been taken from him. But, that was all possible through this uh, demonization, This ten years of uh, of, of Julian being called, uh, you know, narcissistic, or uh, you know, doesn't feed his cat, or you know, didn't wash his dishes. Like, why does this matter? And I think Nils Melzer uh, says in the film, you know, Julian shone the light on their crimes, and, and the tactic that was used against him was they turned the light around and, and pointed on on Julian. But at the end of the day, it's, you know, their war crimes, uh, their corruption uh, and and their torture uh, that we, we need to remember and that we need to keep the focus on.
0: Yeah. Well, and also the betrayal by the rest of the media. And this is something that Andrew Coburn had written about um, a couple of weeks ago in Harper's magazine is, you know, they're all a bunch of Charlie Savages, the disgraced New York Times reporter who's, you know, put a few thousand words into his effort to explain why Julian Assange isn't a real journalist like he is. Because what he does is he repeats whatever the CIA wants him to repeat. And what Assange does is he publishes CIA documents that they did not want published. And so that's why Charlie Savage has a job and Julian Assange is in prison. But of course, it just speaks to Charlie Savage's guilt. And it goes to show that he sold his soul so cheaply. He doesn't even know how badly he indicts himself when he writes that way about Julian Assange. That's right. Savage, you're nothing like Julian Assange. We all agree with that. Um, And so and that is such a huge, important part of the story is all these people throwing this man under the bus. When what's at stake here is whether the government can prosecute journalists and publishers rather than just leakers, but leakies under the Espionage Act. And they've never gotten away with this before, and they're trying to get away with it now. As Coburn pointed out, only very last minute here did the New York Times, I'm sure with no help from Savage, but the New York Times, The Guardian, and a couple of others finally wrote this letter in support of Assange after, you know, the example's been made and after he's been punished without trial this whole time. I guess they feel like you know now now that he's been punished enough, they want to go ahead and try to intervene a little bit before they're actually threatened. Uh, it's pretty disgusting behavior, so we'll note it, but now, let me uh ask you about Nils Melzer some more and about the state of Assange's health here um. And talk about in the movie, well, first of all, if you could describe who Melzer is and and his takes and what he knows about Assange. But it's also they talk in the movie about how in court the judge asked him his birthday and he said, lady, I don't know. Uh, and, And so there was a real question of just how mad they have driven this guy. But as you say before, they let him out of solitary finally here. So I wonder if he's doing much better if you're as worried about him as you were before, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, certainly. We, you know, we are always worried that Julian's not going to make it through this. You know, um, you know, we're all uh, his whole family are all surrounding him, supporting him. You know, we show that through the film as well. Uh, you know, Stella's uh, supporting him through these phone calls and and visits to the prison. You know, twice a week with the children. Uh, so we're we're doing all we can to. To really, uh, you know, support Julian um, to to get through this, as as is a, a whole, uh, you know, millions of people around the world. You know, wh- whenever we whenever we meet some of Julian's old friends or or, or tell him what he what we're up to and and all the support that he has, um, that really keeps him going as well. Uh, Nils Melser is was is uh, is the ex UN special rapporteur on torture. Uh, so uh, a, rap- a special rapporteur is a sort of independent uh independent person uh you know given a mandate by the un uh, to investigate uh torture around the world so he he usually works in places uh you know authoritarian regimes uh places where uh, you know you you would commonly expect uh you know persecution to exist in Azerbaijan or in the Caribbean or uh, some places in Africa and that's where he comes from and that's his sort of mandate from the UN and you know interestingly and we and we show this in the film that he had these uh, biases uh, to begin with as well uh, the demonization and and the Dehumanisation of Julian that I talked about uh, had worked its way into his uh, biases as well, and 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 he admits that now he admits that he had been deceived uh, by all these prestige media reports, you know, about Julian, and that when he first received uh, an email requesting his help from Julian's lawyers, uh, that he dismissed it, saying, you know, I don't want to get involved in this, uh, you know, not this Assange character, A- and. It was his internal uh, biases that were coming forward then Uh, then he got another email and he talks about that and he said well maybe i should look into this and maybe i should investigate this and really uh, thought about why did he have this bias and where was it coming from where was this information coming from that uh, led him to develop this bias and then he started to dig into the case and, and Really go into it. He's a Swedish speaker, uh, and he was able to go through all the Swedish uh, documents related to the uh, related to the Swedish investigation, which was you know the longest running uh, uh, longest running preliminary investigation in Swedish history. You know, open and closed four times, uh, full of irregularities, leaks to media, and he was really. Able to go into that and really dig deeply uh, into that and use uh, freedom of information emails that were obtained from the from the uh, UK prosecutors. One of which is very telling. Uh, it is the Swedish prosecutor writing to the writing to the UK prosecutor when Julian was in the Ecuadorian embassy, and the Swedish prosecutor is saying, "Oh, you know." we want to get rid of this case, uh, this investigation. You know, it's gone on too long. And the the UK prosecutor writes back to the Swedish prosecutor and says, you're not getting cold feet. This is about more than a simple extradition. And so you have these sort of illuminating emails that exist about this uh, you know, abusive process by the Swedish prosecutors and the British uh, prosecuting service mm-hmm. to keep Julian in the embassy. Yep. You know, it, it wasn't about this investigation at all. It no, was a, a tactic text. to keep him in the end, in the embassy. And so Niels Melser goes into all of that and he's written a great book uh, called the trial of Julian Assange, uh, which is really, uh, you know, if you read any book on the case, that's the one. Yeah.
0: Uh, I have, as soon as I'm done with my book, I have a pile of Assange books. I got Kevin Costola's brand new book. And then there's the one by the great Italian journalist lady and Nils Melzer's book. We're going to do a whole, uh, you know, deep dive on Assange. But I'm kicking the can down the road because I'm behind on my own. Uh, Listen, one last thing. I have to go. But um, can you please tell me very quickly, did I read somewhere that the Australian government is finally kind of sticking their neck out here a little bit and hinting that they would prefer that he just be released to their care now?
1: Yeah, so the Australian Prime Minister has, uh, you know, made statements like enough's enough and he doesn't see what purpose is served of Julian being in prison. Uh, He said he's made representations to the Biden administration. Uh, He will be meeting with Biden in San Diego on Monday, uh, him and the UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak. So that's a perfect opportunity for, you know, them to these three people who are all involved in Julian's persecution to get together and, uh, bring this to a close, but yeah, he's advocating for Julian now, which is a huge change, uh, from mm-hmm. previous governments. And, and i really that, uh, that stems from the support that Julian has in the Australian electorate, mm-hmm. which is 80, 88% of whom, uh, want Julian brought home.
0: That's great. And a great place to end it that, yep. It's public opinion at the end of the day, that's what counts. But the people have to be on the right side of these things and they have to make their voices heard. Listen, um, sorry, we're out of time. i got a million more questions for you here, but best of luck to you. And thank you so much for your great effort to free the hero, Julian Assange. Really appreciate it, Gabriel. Cheers, The Scott Horton Show, Anti-War Radio, can be heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. APSradio.com, Antiwar.com, ScottHorton.org and libertarianinstitute.org.